0: Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Erin Peterson, Partner and Global Talent Acquisition Consultant with People Results. In each episode, Erin interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA Today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Erin Peterson, and I want to welcome you to the next episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. I am here with Nancy Johnson of Ad Talum. She's the VP of Talent Acquisition and Talent Development for Ad Talum Global Education. Terrific organization that is making a big difference in the world in terms of skilling people for what they need to do, as well as certifying them not only for global jobs that need to happen in normal times. But interestingly, in these times of the coronavirus, adding uh, significant skills to people who need to help us all and serve us um, as we recover globally from this pandemic. So with that, I will let my listeners hear your voice. Nancy, if you want to say hello. Hi, everyone. And thank you so much, Erin, for having me today. You have a really interesting background, Nancy. And I think what's most interesting is and we'll get into this a little bit more in terms of how you built your career primarily in hr and then as a senior professional you pivoted to lead talent acquisition and talent development and that is a, it's a kind of a unique skill set to bring all that hr expertise to play and then go more narrow in talent acquisitions you also have a really interesting diversity of industries that you have served so we're yeah. going to talk about that too what is Ad Talum Global Education? Uh, what's their mission, their market position? How, how do you describe it, maybe to candidates when they don't know anything about you? So first of all, Ad Talum
2: means to empower in Latin. So Ad means to and Talum is empower. So put together, Ad Talum means to empower. And the mission of the organization is really about empowering our students and our members uh, to achieve their goals in life, find their own personal success, and then with that success, make inspiring contributions to our global community. We are transforming the organization to become more of a workforce solutions provider. And by that, we mean focusing on a value chain for a participant, uh, could be a member or a student, really around formal education, then preparing and certification, training, and then connecting individuals. In a way that allows them to achieve their career goals, but also do that in the context of addressing pressing needs in the marketplace. The two areas of focus in our organization presently are healthcare and financial services. So we have uh, one of our verticals is healthcare and one is financial services.
1: And just to clarify the financial services component, uh, as I understand it, there is a heavy cybersecurity part of that as well. Is that true or is it financial services in its more pure sense? Everything we do is around the concept of
2: educating, certifying, and training. So in the financial services vertical, there's four businesses. The one that I think you're referring to, Erin, is probably ACAMS, which is the Association of Anti-Money Laundering Professionals. And that um, business has a global footprint and the focus is essentially fighting uh, financial crime, anywhere in the world, which also includes human trafficking. Uh, so that's a, an association. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's pretty cool. We include in that vertical Becker Professional Education, which does uh, CPA test prep, CPA review, continuing professional education. And in addition to that, we have a business called On Course Learning, which does online uh, regulatory training. Um, and learning for the uh, banking and financial services sector. We have one business in India that is is more like a Becker in in the India marketplace. So that's kind of what rounds out financial services. But that I think ACAMS is what you were probably
1: talking about. Your role, let's talk a little more about that, because in the context of it being a workforce solutions company, Oh, by the way, you are the yeah. head of workforce <laughs> for, for the company, bringing in the right talent so that that uh, workforce solutions can be delivered to both right. consumers and companies. So tell us a little more about your role. How, how, how big is your team? What is your remit? Sure. You know, where, where do you have to operate geographically? My role is head of talent acquisition and talent development uh, for the global
2: enterprise of Talum. I work for the CHRO, Donna Jennings, uh, and I have teams in both areas, talent development team with with several people, and also external contractors that help us to deliver our talent development strategy. On the talent acquisition side, uh, we do hire globally, primarily in the U.S., but our global hiring occurs in the Caribbean. Um, it did occur in Brazil until the until what I spoke of earlier uh, around our divestiture of the Brazil organization. In addition to that, we'll be we recruiting in Hong Kong, and London, and other um, geographies throughout the world in in much smaller sense. So the bigger bigger locations, I would say at, at this point, include the, are the Caribbean and Hong Kong and London, uh, mm-hmm. is where we're doing more of our recruiting. Uh, the recruitment team, I have 30 people that sit on that recruitment team. One of them is in Hong Kong. And then I've got out of that group about five recruiters that specialize in international hiring, which was a whole uh, level of complexity to it for a variety of reasons. Um, but one thing I'll, I'll mention is the type of recruiting. So we hire about 2,500 colleagues a year. Uh, we uh, historically have hired about 3,500, but based on some of the business uh, transformation, that that number shifted a bit. The kind of hiring we we do uh, ranges everywhere from really highly complex roles, like trying to find a large animal surgeon who wants to be an expat on St. Kitts and teach for our vet school. That's a small universe to begin with, and then it just continues to narrow, and then you have to find someone at the right time in their life that also wants to move to St. Kitts. So that's like, one of the highly complex type roles um, that we might hire. We also hire roles like uh, editorial professionals with expertise in anti-money laundering that can be challenging. Nurse faculty for our uh, Chamberlain University organization, Uh, those are not easy to find in that there's just a shortage of nurses that want to teach because they can make oftentimes more money hobbling together a number of other uh, assignments and and work uh, outside of teaching. So that can become challenging. Mm -hmm. Then we also hire uh, very entry-level visiting faculty that are very part-time. But I would say that most of the roles have a medium complexity to them. They're either international, highly specialized. You know, type of role. So I really have to have the right recruitment team that has the ability to hire in new markets or in areas that they um, may not have expertise in as a recruiter.
1: Tell us what impact to your business are you experiencing from the coronavirus right now, either locally or globally? You're based in Chicago, obviously, yeah. which is becoming, I think, one of the epicenters, unfortunately. How is this uh, affecting you and your team? Well, honestly, we are right in the middle
2: of it, both you know, geographically, with our headquarters in Chicago, but also as a healthcare education provider. I'll talk about a couple cool things and then a couple challenges. So, right now, we, like other organizations, are are donating hospital equipment, protective gear for healthcare practitioners, and um, actually having many of our faculty volunteer currently in hospitals that are desperately in need of healthcare practitioners. We have a campaign called Care for Caregivers, and that's really a way for all of us to circle our efforts to help fight the COVID pandemic. And so we're very, very involved on a number of fronts in importing the healthcare uh, delivery providers. Um, But I will say that as an organization, we're really well-positioned for a crisis of, of this kind. Um, we are a pioneer in online education. So we were, in a, sh- a few short weeks, able to, to shift the 30,000 nursing students online. And that is, you know, we have both online courses today, but we also have face-to-face courses that we deliver through Chamberlain University. We were able to shift everybody online, completely online, in just a few days, as well as continue our medical education in a virtual sense for our medical schools and our vet school in the Caribbean. So that online platform has been really, really helpful, obviously, to have to continue our business operations during this time. We also went to remote work for all staff worldwide, and we have not missed a beat. So just different way of working, but we we are just we're continuing to deliver, which has been awesome. Um, one of the challenges that we have is part of our medical curriculum for our uh, our med schools, the, the vet school, and then our, the curriculum for our nursing school requires on-site clinical education, and that has been a challenge putting students in an, in a, um, the compromised environments that we have right now in our healthcare, in our hospitals, and and you know in our healthcare clinics, et cetera. And so um, we've had to work with our regulators to determine a different way to do that is there a way to do that in a virtual format for whatever period of time so we're working through that we have you know that's one of our biggest challenge because we can continue our education again fortunate that we can do that for all of our students but that piece of it is a little is tricky right now um, until it's safer to put students back in those settings just to round out my comments here I would say that, you know, as you look at the long term in what Talent Ed Global Education does is our two medical schools produce close to 1000 primary care, uh, or family practitioners per year. We have 30,000, um, nursing students. And so at a time when we're desperate for healthcare providers, we're an organization that helps produce the healthcare talent that's so critically needed right now, um, and will be even despite the, uh, corona pandemic for the foreseeable future as we have a continually aging society. So, you know, we're we're challenged like other organizations, but um, we all feel pretty grateful that we've been able to continue our operations and also contribute to um, in any way that we can to helping fight the the Corona uh, the Corona pandemic. And so, I just feel really again honored to be part of an organization that is
1: in a place where we're helping. Yeah. Talk about making a difference where it matters. And also, you know, I'm thinking about the fact that, you know, there's been a lot said about how, as far as we know, this is the very first thing that the entire globe has been going through all at the same time. So there's just no part of our globe that's untouched, right? And it sounds like, from your perspective, Ad Talum is uniquely positioned to help, not only in the U.S., which, of course, we, we talk about a lot. But really, all over the world, wherever you have people and wherever you provide education, you know, part of why we focus on financial services and healthcare are those are
2: the fastest growing um, sectors of the economy, and where there is, um, at least in healthcare in particular, just a real shortage of talent, and we can deal with that on a macro level. And so, I, you know, that's, that's sort of another reason why we remain, you know, in in that healthcare. So let's talk about
1: what prepared you for this. You had uh, your undergrad. You got your undergrad from uh, University of Miami, Ohio. Eventually, went to DePaul and got your MBA. So, what was just what was behind those? Uh, decisions in terms of your education. So I grew up
2: in a large family in Ohio, and uh, it was declared uh, by my father that we must go to a state school. I had a small uh, universe way back when to consider, <laughs> yeah. a small universe of uh, options to consider, unlike today. And, uh, and so I looked around the schools in Ohio, I had an older sister that went to Miami of Ohio, uh, fell in love with the campus, she had a great experience there, and I started actually as an accounting major, and they have a very good accounting program in business school. I didn't last more than two years in accounting and then shifted to a general management uh, major um, and had a really good experience at Miami and got a great education there, um, a well-respected uh, business school. I minored in a liberal arts area, so I got a little business, got a little uh, little liberal arts in American studies, which was which was great.
1: You started in Mark. And then you kept right. it in HR and kept advancing in HR with companies like R.R. Donnelly, Sarah Lee. I mean, these are some just terrific, large, renowned Chicago-based companies. So you were a big company person at that time. You, it sounds like you joined organizations that were had very large operations and probably learned a lot in those environments. What was guiding you in terms of your career goals at that time? And, and where did you learn the most? Really, what drove me
2: professionally was curiosity and, and maybe a little bit of impatience. Maybe once or twice I, mo- I, I moved before I should have moved to a new job or new company because I was young and hungry and wanted more. But I think curiosity probably drove me the most. My HR career started as um, a recruiter, uh, so I, I did some work in recruiting. Uh, then I moved into HR generalist roles. Then I got interested in compensation, so I was a compensation analyst for a while. Um, That led to an executive compensation role and went back to a generalist at a generalist role, and that's where I got exposure to great talent development and OD, and that was at our Donnelly. So I tried a, uh, a number of different areas within HR, which I highly recommend to anyone growing their career. You really have to see HR from a number of different lenses to understand the value and how all aspects of what HR does come together to deliver what the business needs. Each of these companies had a different culture. So I was able to understand different cultures, different organization missions. Uh, I learned from some great leaders, mostly great leaders, occasionally not so great leaders about how I wanted to be as a leader and what I didn't want to do as a leader. And I think a lot of that just shaped how I choose to lead, you know, today. Just in sort of summary, as I look at the three big, bigger companies uh, before Ed Talum, you know, at Caremark, I probably learned a lot about the nuts and bolts of HR and about the business and how to be agile. So Caremark was a spinoff of Baxter. So I was part of the spinoff and it was a, it was a spinoff to a publicly traded company, Caremark. So I got to experience that. Uh, then we got bought. By a company called Med Partners, so I got to feel what it's like to get bought, which never feels great. So it's better to be the acquirer than the acquiree. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then we acquired a bunch of small businesses throughout the United States. So I, I had a variety of things happening there that required agility, is what I would say, and the, de- and the ability to adapt to change. When I think about our Donnelly experience, uh, I was in more of a um, HR generalist role for corporate functions. But I got exposure to some excellent talent development in OD professionals. I would say out of my whole career, they really had it going on there. And I was fascinated by participating in talent reviews and um, by working with the folks to figure out how to create profiles to hire better, culture work, things like that. So I learned a lot about talent development in OD there and said, gosh, this, like I want to do that kind of work. Where can I do more of that work? And so I, I tried to figure out how to do as much of that that I could at I Donnelly did in my role and they let me in, which was great. Um, but then they merged with more Wallace and a lot of those uh, functions were eliminated. And so then at that time, I looked for another role and I was very fortunate through my network to find an opportunity at Sarah Lee. And, I got very deep into leading their talent review succession approach globally, their performance management approach globally, and their leadership development strategies globally for the several years that I was there. Um, What I learned there was influence strategy, um, how to drive change, and how to manage politics. So less of the nuts and bolts, but more of this is a huge organization. And to get things done, you really need to, to develop relationships, you know how to influence change and, and drive for for results, which I've always had, but I don't know that I've always had the softer side of how to influence. And, yeah. and so I learned, I learned that at Sarah Lee
1: quite a bit. I think you're right. That is the hardest part of being a almost senior leader, you know, that you start to realize there's a meeting before the meeting. Yeah, I didn't know that happened. (laughs) I thought we were going to make the decision at the meeting. And I realized somehow it already got made. So that's that's a lesson in um, maybe a little bit of politics, maybe a little bit of, as you say, the softer side of leadership,
2: right? Yeah, I I would agree with you on that because I think as a real driver, and, and many people are, I know recruiters are drivers and they love to win and they love to get the hire. But my way of operating was if my boss said, well, go develop this strategy, I'd just go develop the strategy and want to roll it in. And then I would meet resistance and, and not realizing that I hadn't talked to the right people to get them on board and they were going to resist me unless I stakeholdered well with them. So I learned a few painful lessons. And frankly, right now in my organization, I'm viewed as a, a very strong change leader, but I learned that from yeah. this early experience. Wow.
1: I really appreciate that example because I think, especially as aspiring leaders see other leaders above them operating well, they think they always knew how to do that. In terms of the coronavirus impact, uh, you know, how would you say that has changed things for you in terms of uh, the tactical side of the work that you're doing? Is there an impact from coronavirus or is it really just part of the workforce change? You know, I, I I will just say that we're we're a pretty
2: agile organization. Three years ago, in 2017, we had two two separate hurricanes hit uh, our medical schools, and um, we had to be quite agile in responding to those. So this is much bigger than that. But I I feel like uh, our team just rallied around those experiences, and we are rallying now. I have to say that from an operational perspective, not much has changed. We continue to do what we do. I have a team that has very flexible work schedules. Um and so they've just moved it all remote, so not a not a big deal. What we are dealing with that other organizations are dealing with, but we're still monitoring it because it's so new is candidates that, that are a little skittish to make a change right now. Feeling really loyal to the, the work team that they have as they're helping their organization cope. So that, I think, has been a bit of a challenge from a sourcing standpoint. And then if they don't know a lot about our organization, how do we build confidence in who we are and that we're a sustainable organization going forward? Nurturing uh, relationships with people that we continue to want to talk to because we, we want them. They're just not ready. So really thinking through how do we stay connected and communicate to talent? At the senior levels, this is one-on-one connection, but more broadly, how are we communicating to uh, nurse faculty candidates that aren't ready to move right now, but that we're still talking to them so that when they're ready to, to, to make a job change, they'll come on over and consider uh, Ad Talum or Chamberlain University, I should say, at that time.
1: How are your recruiters staying in touch with candidates? Yeah, so there's uh, there's one-on-one
2: conversation. So I'll just give you an example. We had a VP-level candidate marketing who we were really excited on, and he just said, I, I, I need 60 to 90 days. And so the recruiter on that, I said, just call them every three to four weeks um, or send them a note just that, you know, how you doing, how are things going. And, you know, everything is so personal right now. It's so easy to say, hey, just checking in, are you okay? And so it's, there's a nice opportunity to connect. What's happening globally on a more human level with candidates. For those that are in the broader groups, we do campaigns. So we use being on people as our candidate relationship management tool. And we do, you know, communication campaigns, essentially nurturing campaigns with nurse faculty um, as a way to stay connected. And we just um, recently started one and I haven't seen it. My team has run it, but uh, we've done that in the past. But we're like kind of resurrecting that, that concept of how do you stay connected?
1: This is a little bit off topic, but I'm just curious, especially sure. right now with the shortage in healthcare workers, especially in some regions. And I know the sort of the call is out for people to um, be able to help out in certain regions. Is there any government agency that's leveraging your personal connection or your candidate relationship management tool by, you know, sort of saying you actually have access to people with these skills that we don't have in the government. Can you help us out? Is is there any is that a bridge to core? Or no not yet. I mean actually it's a great idea. Okay. Uh, honestly, but it's
2: nothing that I've it's nothing that I have uh I have heard come across my desk at this point. But actually it's a really interesting idea because yes. we do have that I mean just like the alert that occurred while we were on the call. You can yeah. see that's they, a that they cell phone reach out to the universe
1: for healthcare providers. Right. Yeah. Which might be even more effective than, than going through a designated channel. But boy, I've got to believe at this point, it's, it should be belt and suspenders, you know, to make sure right. <laughs> we're getting to everybody. So I'm really glad to know you're using Phenon people. I've heard great things from all of the leaders who are using that. So a shout out to my friends over at Phenom People, um, it's a great tool and uh, has really become, I think, quite user-friendly. We rebranded. We have 13 uh,
2: career sites, and we just got through the exercise about nine months ago of rebranding those sites to make them much more candidate-friendly, and they were outstanding in that effort, and we really like the end product, which has helped us drive improved candidate flow.
1: Nancy, we all have our failures and most of us don't want to revisit them, of course. Uh, I know I don't, but is there one that you'd be willing to share that could help future talent acquisition leaders to avoid a pitfall or at least feel not completely defective because they know that a a successful leader made the same mistake? I have a lot to draw from. Um, (laughs) I've
2: learned so much over the years, but um, I would say Probably the biggest mistake that, that I made, and this is referring to talon early on when I centralized the talent acquisition group, is just not thinking carefully enough about making sure the recruiter or the recruitment leader had the right skill set for the leaders they were going to be matched up to and then the jobs that they were going to be required to recruit for. And so I, I made some calls early, you know, tr- as a driver trying to get things done. We're going to move this person here, or this person there. And, okay, good, I have my org structure, and people seem to think it's great. But I had a couple failures where I had the wrong person matched to an institution that wasn't the right fit for them. Personally, they weren't uh, as credible as they needed to be, and as a result, TA took a hit for it. And I took a hit for it. And what I learned is that I just need to be much more thoughtful and continue to think about that a lot today. Probably every six months, I relook at our, my work chart and my team knows this. We talk about it because the business shifts and I'm saying, okay, let's talk about our talent. Who's working on what? Are they the right fit for the type of roles for the institution? And um, are we developing the CA talent that we have internally? You know, I, I I'm proud to say that the, Person that I have heading up TA delivery right now is someone that was a TA consultant when I started. And we have uh, moved her around to take on roles of increasing responsibility. And she um, just stepped into the formal role a couple months ago and she's doing great. So just really taking care of your people, helping them grow, but just making sure that you're connecting, you're, you're serving the business right by having the right TA talent on, on their job.
1: And what I'm hearing in there is that you're taking your own advice on the talent development front. It sounds like you do your own talent reviews and do them frequently enough that you never are in danger of things getting out of hand or something sort of devolving while you aren't watching. Absolutely. And, you know, the other aspect of that
2: is uh, talking to our customers regularly about how our team is doing, both formally and informally. Formally, we, we do share metrics and we have check-ins to talk about how we're delivering through data and facts and we listen, but also sort of uh, so we can control the narrative too, which is the other challenge in TA is controlling the narrative. So the anecdote doesn't control the narrative, but also just informally and um, making yourself available if something doesn't go well and then coaching your team, you know, to prove
1: if there's a challenge. To step back a second and and explain for some of my listeners who may not understand that anecdote controlling the narrative point. That's yeah. a really important point oh. in talent acquisition. So so yeah. say more about what we mean by that.
2: I could probably talk about that for hours. This uh, data and performance uh, and 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 regular cadence of conversation helps leaders see the big picture of what you're delivering for them, so that when there's a once or twice or an occasional miss, and there will be and there always are, that doesn't shape their perspective of the entirety of the TA team or the TA organization and the company. That is something that um, I talk a lot about with my leaders, is using the data and the facts to to control the narrative, but being open to the feedback and not over-defending the team when the feedback comes. There is a tendency often in leaders to over-defend. Well, it couldn't be my team. That's, that's, this you know, a hiring manager. They don't know what they're doing or they don't know good talent when they, it doesn't matter. We have to own something when, it, when a hire goes awry. The way I look at it from a problem solving standpoint is there's usually something happened on both sides. So let's examine what happened on both sides and let's go first and own what we could have done differently. And if we do that first nine times out of 10, that manager will say, yeah, you know, you're right. Here's what I could have done differently. And boom, yeah. you've got standing and you can you can move forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Great example. And and I'll add to that um, in, in what I've seen actually recently is that time to fill is often a metric that talent acquisition offers up to customers as proof that we are meeting expectations, in some cases exceeding. The problem is with time to fill that it only measures what was filled. And oh, by right. the way, it's the ones that weren't, weren't filled <laughs> that are creating the noise. So we need to talk about metrics and then the anecdotes around them from a more complex perspective, I think.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that completely. Yeah, And then really having that business lens, I, I think knowing the business and knowing the pressure they're under and viewing yourself as an
1: extension of their team is something that I reinforce a lot with my PA team. And so, Nancy, what advice do you or would you give to a young professional who might come to you and say, I really want to be a talent acquisition leader? I want to be the top talent acquisition leader in my organization. What do I need to do to get there? What what advice do you give? Sure. Um, The first thing is know the business and be practical. Put yourself in the shoes of the business
2: leaders um, and think of yourself as an extension of their team trying to drive whatever business outcomes you're driving. So that's number one is know the business. The second one is take on the messiest, most difficult jobs, the hardest situations, the huge ramp-ups, the things that everyone says are never going to work, or the relationships are really broken, and volunteer to go in there and say, let me figure that out and turn it around. I will tell you that 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 is probably one of the best developmental experiences anyone can get is to run at the tough stuff and go prove that you can turn it around and you can change it. I think leadership, starting with um, leading a couple recruiters and then taking on you know larger and larger teams over time, is important because recruiters sometimes people want to lead but they don't want to do the work of leading, mm-hmm. and so um, not all recruiters are great leaders because a lot of them are very independent and individually motivated. So we've got to find the ones that really want to lead other people and coach other people. And so I think just asking yourself, do you really want to lead or would you prefer to be an executive recruiter, which is a really important role and go up through an individual contributor line. Uh, Increasingly, the comfort level with technology, technology offering, implementation, analytics, I think more and more important. And so if you want to leave not just the delivery side, but the operations side and do the whole thing, you're going to have to take a stint in implementing a new applicant tracking system or some new tool or technology around talent acquisition so that you can see how the entire function operates within the sphere of, of the HRIS and the whole HR ecosystem. I, I you know, this is more of a general. Comment, it's just really be a problem solver. So when when you get tough feedback or situations get messy, uh, run at them. Try to figure them out. Own what you can, and uh, and move on. Tough stuff happens to everybody on the job, and there's always angst when it does. When you get the phone call and someone's complaining about your team, and you yeah. just want to you know, die a thousand deaths, and you've got a pit in your stomach, you can spend days in that place, or you can try to manage how you spend time in that place. And then get the information you need and then quickly move to action. I prefer the let's quickly move to action. Let's do it in an informed way, but let's move to action, own what we can, and let's let's go
1: after it. Well, I think that is gold, that advice. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say that's a great place for us to end. And Nancy, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And a few of your battle stars, and the timeliness of uh, the mission of the organization that you serve. It's inspiring. So I want to thank you for all of that. Thank you so much. Uh, just have enjoyed our conversation today. Really appreciate it.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at e. P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com You can also follow Erin on Twitter at Erin McPeterson connect with her on LinkedIn and learn more about her practice at people-results.com